Good evening and welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and top instructors go to share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, Ben Hogan Golf, the PGA Tour Superstore, Two Wonder, the Salt Creek Golf Retreat, TaylorMade Golf, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, and Super Speed Golf. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. everyone and thank you for joining me tonight here on next on the tee and boy do we have a great show in store for you tonight i've got four guests that i simply can't wait to share with you my first guest is consistently ranked at the top of the list for best instructors in the state of connecticut and that is paul ramay i'm going to talk to paul about the fantastic golf trip he recently took over to scotland which looks like one of those once in a lifetime kind of trips we'll hear about the courses that he played the sideways rain he and his uh, his friends had to deal with while they were over there. Plus, I'll get a couple of playing lessons from Paul as well. Looking forward to having him back on the show with me. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of the top golf course designers on the planet, and that's Bill Bergen. Bill's got a number of golf course projects going on right now, a couple not that far from me here in Atlanta. He's got the McLemore course getting ready to open just outside of Chattanooga, which looks like a fantastic mountain course right up there on Lookout Mountain. We'll hear about that. Plus, he's doing some work in Dalton, Georgia as well, and a golf course up there. So want to get an update on that project. Also want to hear about the great things that he's been involved with. Jason Duffner is doing a, a lot of great work for kids, uh, feeding kids up in the Auburn, Alabama area. Both Bill and, and Jason are Auburn uh, alumni. So want to talk about the event that he got to be up there as well and hearing about the great things that Jason is doing. So we'll talk about that and a whole lot more when Bill joins me at the bottom of the hour. Following him, Golf Tip Magazine Top 25 instructor Tom Patry is going to be back with me. Tonight, TP and I will talk about the PGA Championship. I want to get his thoughts on Brooks Kepka, maybe the rivalry now developing between he and Tiger Woods. also want to talk about Brooks and his good friend Dustin Johnson, right? Which one of them is the man now out on the tour, right? we got DJ's got a lot more PGA Tour victories, but Brooks has got those four majors. So which one of those guys is the man on the PGA Tour right now? We'll also talk about the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, which is, you know, goodness knows TP and I have been hard on the USGA over the last couple of years. And folks, surely, surely the USGA can't screw up a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, right? We'll find out what TP thinks when he joins me about 45 minutes from now. And then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company CEO Scott White. They recently launched a new line of drivers in Fairway Wood, which look absolutely fantastic. So looking forward to hearing all about those from Scott. He'll join me at the top of the next hour. So there you go, folks. We got a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. Before I get started, I always like to remind you about my good friends, Mitch and Matthew Lawrence, because they've got a couple of great golf shows available for you. Mitch's show is called Talking Golf Getaways, and on there they talk about some of the hidden gems, some of the great places you get to go stay, play, and even eat and drink while you're out there. And you can stream his podcast over on GolfTripX.com, and that's a letter X, so GolfTripX.com, and it's also available on Audioboom. Stitcher and player.fm as well. He and his co-host Darren Bunch do a great job. So be sure to go check them out over on any one of those great sites. 
Plus, his twin brother, Matthew, also has a great golf show called Backspin Golf. You know how much I dig Matthew's show. It's uh, my regular 8.03 a.m. tea time every Sunday morning. It is available from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern time on WLXG ESPN Radio AM 1300 up in Lexington, Kentucky. It's a great way to kick off your Sunday mornings. The show is so much fun because Matthew is so much fun. Plus, he's also joined every week by Perry French of Strixon Cleveland and Zexio Golf. Perry's been uh, a wonderful guest on this show. Looking forward to having him back on the show again very soon. Check them out online again at WLXG.com or do what I did, which is download the WLXG app. And, folks, as you know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Take a listen to our good friend Steve Rondonero about all the great things they've got going on up there this summer. It's a Pete Dye masterpiece, the Pete Dye course at French Lick Resort. Pete says its location on one of the highest points in Indiana makes it special. The long views, you can see many 20 and 30 miles from many of the fairways and many of the tees and greens, and, and you can see it in 360 degrees. Donald Ross's hill course put French Lick on the golf map more than 100 years ago. It's where Walter Hagen won the 1924 PGA Championship and the place where today's Symmetra Tour ladies battle each year. It's the ambience around it that makes the golf course. Combine our many resort amenities with legendary golf, and you have a getaway like no other. French Lick Resort is the home of the Senior LPGA Championship, won in 2018 by World Golf Hall of Famer Laura Davies. Play the course's champions play. Plan your trip now, online at FrenchLick.com. Yeah, folks, go online to FrenchLick.com, and I'm telling you, see for yourself what a wonderful place they have up there, and you can book your stay there as well. Also want to remind you about our good friends at the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. Now, we got Scott White coming on the show a little bit later, but we like to remind you every week about the great things that they've got going on there. So, folks, if you haven't hit Ben Hogan iron since maybe the 80s or the 90s, do yourself a favor and get a demo iron from either their Fort Worth PTX, new PTX Pro, or edge irons, and go out on the range and compare it with whatever it is you got in your bag right now. Now, all Ben Hogan irons and wedges are handcrafted one at a time in their Fort Worth, Texas factory, so no mass production, no shortcuts. Now you can order custom-made irons, wedges, and hybrids by going online to BenHoganGolf.com, and they're going to build those clubs to your specifications, and best of all, charge you a fraction of the typical retail price. Check out their complete line of forged irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, accessories, and now their new GS53 drivers and fairway woods, which we'll talk about a little bit later on in the show with Scott. But go online to BenHoganGolf.com and check them all out. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to BobbyJones.com. They've got their summer collection out. The thoughtful selections are rooted in character and endurance, and the signature details, colors, and fabrications remind you that you are well on the way to the game that you are meant to play on the course and in the course of life. Check out their summer collection online at bobbyjones.com. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Paul Rame. Let me remind you about Paul's background. Played his college golf at Seton Hall. Paul became a Class A certified PGA professional back in 1996. In 2013, he was named the Horton Smith Award winner for his dedication to education. Paul has been an assistant golf professional at the Park Country Club up in Williamsville, New York, Canoe Brook Country Club in Summit, New Jersey, and at Oakmont Country Club as well. He was one of the inaugural instructors at the Golf Channel Golf Academy, which you can see on the Golf Channel and GolfChannel.com. He was a 2016 Connecticut PGA Section Teacher of the Year Award winner. Golf Digest consistently ranks him as one of the top three instructors in the state of Connecticut. 
And since 2003, he has been the director of golf and club and club manager at Bulls Bridge Golf Club in Kent, Connecticut, which is in the western part of the state, almost right there on the New York border. And I'm very honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Paul. Thanks for coming back on the show. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me back. So, Paul, before we get into all the golf stuff, I want to get an update on your son, Hunter, who is a tremendous college golfer. I, he followed you uh, at uh, Seton Hall. So uh, give us an update. How's Hunter doing? Uh, it's nice of you to ask. Uh, he had a, a decent freshman year. He uh, didn't have a whole lot of expectations, played a couple events in the fall, and unfortunately uh, didn't play uh, too much in the spring. But uh, fortunately for his mom and dad, he didn't make a bogey in the classroom and ended up uh, the year uh, on the Dean's list. And uh, he's back home now working hard for his uh, full complement of summer events. And uh, they've got a couple kids graduating. So he's hoping to, you know, move up the, the, uh, the roster spots on the team. So Paul, is it now that he's back for summer, is it something you're going to work on his game with him as an instructor or do you have to sort of step back and, and just be dad and let, uh, let his coach be the guy that uh, works with him on his game. No, you know, I've uh, I've been working with him for a while here, and uh, he actually had a couple lessons with with Tom Patrick, believe it or not, who's going to be on your show here wow. later. And 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 yeah, I've known Tom for you know close better part of twenty twenty five years. And you know, Tom was in Naples and, and out on Long Island. It just became a little bit too tough to to get to Tom. So I've I've taken over that responsibility and. I work with a couple of the other kids on the on the team at Seton Hall before Hunter got there. So, you know, I head down, you know, probably twice a month while they're in school. Uh, a couple of times the boys came up to Connecticut to visit us. And, uh, you know, now that he's home, um, you know, we're back out on the range. And we've had a little bit of a tough spring weather-wise up here. So he's actually been hitting some balls in my indoor facility, uh, which I've actually closed down, you know, now for the, uh, for the summer season. But he's working hard. And, uh yeah, you know, he knows I'm here. Uh, you know, I'm probably hovering a little bit too much for him, but, um, you know, he knows that I'm here. And if he needs me, I'm, I'm willing to jump in. And Paul, we talk a fair amount on this show about the mental side of the game. And I was curious, you know, for, for Hunter or for your students, when you, when you start working with them or you start communicating those sorts of things, you know, with your son, how do you deal, how do you help him deal with the mental side of the game, particularly you know, as you get through high school and into college, you're starting to play in front of some crowds right now. You've got some galleries mm-hmm. there, and that may be the first time that uh, he starts to deal with those sorts of things, or even for your students and the members, you know, at where you're at. How do you help them deal with playing in front of the crowd for the first time? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I think, you know, initially first you see the people, you know, and then then secondarily you got to tune them out or, or, you know, lots of times let them frame your targets um, you know, the more the people that you have lining the fairways, you know, the, the more that they become kind of natural borders and, and let the fairway kind of stick out. And, and also with the green, you know, when you're hitting your second, your approach shot into the green, you know, that, that semicircle of people around the green is, is your target. And that's where you're looking to, you know, hit it in between them. I mean, obviously people at the tour level are, are much more familiar with hitting it, you know, around, around fans, but, uh, you know, you, it's just something that you'll get better at as you continue to do it. How's it being his dad out in the gallery watching him? It's terrible. I mean, uh, his first event I drove was a Saturday. He, he, you know, he, with, with golf stat now, I can track just about every third hole they post his score. So I bailed out of work on a Saturday and the second Saturday of September and drove 
six hours to Colgate to kind of catch him, uh, you know, afternoon around there. And he, he shot one over in his first college tournament, first college round. And, and then, you know, followed it up, uh, with a couple over par in the afternoon. I think he got a little fatigued, but yeah, it's terrible. It's, it's, I, you know, would rather be the one hitting the golf shots than, uh, than watching my kids hit their golf shots anytime. So I'm a basketball switching gears. Switching gears a little bit, it looks like you recently took a trip over to Scotland, and from a, from uh, some of the things you posted on social media, it looks like one of those golf trips of a lifetime. Talk about what you did over there and where you played. Yeah, so well, actually, honestly, uh, we I take about 15 members every year to Scotland or Ireland. So we've been doing this for about five or six years, and we've got a great group of people who go every year. So we started out. Uh, the first, uh, day at Nairn, which is just, you know, in the last 15 years hosted, uh, the Walker Cup. Then, uh, we went up to the Scottish Highlands. We had a little bit of rain there the first day. Then, uh, next day we played at, um, Brora in the morning and, and Royal Dornick, um, which is, you know, top five in the, in the, in the world. Brora is an interesting golf course. Their maintenance budget is, a, is, is like $200,000. They literally have sheep and cattle that graze and, 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 you know, cut the rough in the fairway. So they have electric fences around each green that you got to step over. So the cattle and the sheep don't step up on the greens. <laughs> wow. Um, then we played Castle Store, which is a newer, a little bit more Americanized golf course, uh, owned by the same people that own Kings Barnes. It was some beautiful views. And the, the real, you know, I always say the members that I'm taking over, I hope we get like nine holes of real Scottish weather. Well, we played this golf course called Cruden Bay, which is an amazing golf course. Uh, the routing, the, the views, uh, there's a huge old castle there, which was the inspiration for, you know, Bram Stoker was on a ship coming into port there at Cruden Bay and he saw this castle and it was his inspiration for Dracula. That's how old and medieval this area is. And, and it was, uh, unfortunate. We did, that was the one day we got the sideways rain, the 20 mile per 30 mile per hour winds and the, you know, in the 50 degree weather, because some of the views there are just amazing. But Cruden Bay was an incredible, incredible golf course. And then the last day was we, you know, we were supposed to play Cruden Bay again, but unfortunately we couldn't. So we got on a golf course called Panmure, which is right next door to Carnoustie. Now we've played Carnoustie in some of our prior trips. So, you know, a couple of the members were, were asking about why aren't we playing Carnoustie again? Um, but Panmure turned out to be the golf course that Hogan prior to the 53 open at Carnoustie, he went to Pamir for the two weeks before and practiced uh, there basically on, on the fifth and sixth hole, which are, you know, two or sixth and seventh hole, excuse me, these two great par fours that, uh, you know, he believes got him ready for playing at Carnoustie and ultimately winning in 1953. So you got the sideways range. So you got that piece. Now, so often we hear mm -hmm. about those sorts of conditions over there. You get all four seasons, in the course of a round of golf. So you got the sideways rain piece. Did you get the winter, summer, and fall as well? Well, yeah, we did. I mean, we had it, you know, one day was 50, that, you know, and then one day we were down to, you know, just golf shirt, you know, golf, you know, golf shirt, 70, 70 degrees one day at Royal Dornick, and the sun came out, and it was beautiful. So you do. You experience all four seasons. So, Paul, bringing it back to home, talk about your, your home course, Bullsbridge Golf Club, because from what I've seen online, looks like a great Tom Fazio design. Talk about what it's like there. Well, I'm, I've been very fortunate. I've been here since the beginning, 2003. Um, we have about it's – it's really a second home community. I, I call it the Anti-Hamptons. Um, you know, it's for people that don't want to 
schlep out, you know, east uh, after a long week in Manhattan. They, they, you know, get in their cars, they drive up to the, the country here. We've got about 160 members, play about 8,000 rounds of golf a year. Um, it's a great group of people. It allows me to really interact with people. Uh, you know, Fazio did a magnificent job. We started about 800 feet above sea level. You know, you kind of play down and then you play back up and you never really feel like you're, you know, standing on the side of a hill like some of the golf courses you do, like in, in Vermont. But uh, it's a great group of people. We, we, you know, have a great instruction program, a pretty good junior golf program. And, uh, you know, it's a hope, place I hope I, I can retire from about 20 years. So let's 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 expand a little bit on that. And talk about your instructional program, and then uh, certainly talk about the junior golf program that you got there. But I wanted to start with now. I saw on on the site BowlsBridgeGolfClub.com, and you mm-hmm. go under the family friendly tab, and there's uh-huh. a picture of a junior golfer hitting water balloons with an iron. What's that? Yeah, drill? absolutely. Well, I mean, it's uh, you got to hook them with and, and let them believe that golf is fun uh, before you really start to throw all the etiquette and rules at it. We, we, you know, we've got a philosophy that, you know, it's okay. We, you know, there's, we, we, a busy day for us during the week in the summer is about 30 people. So kids can really be kids there. They can run around. We got a frosty machine and they're having ice cream every time we have a break. And, and, you know, there's, you know, there's pictures of my kid on there holding a frog. I mean, they don't, they, they leave ending up thinking that golf is fun at the end. We kind of trick them. Um, you know, we're competing against tennis and lacrosse and, you know, ice hockey up here. So it's, uh, it's our way of kind of setting the hook early with these kids and, and, uh, you know, making, you know, creating lifelong golfers. So let's talk a little bit about the other instructional programs that you have there. And I saw that you were partnering with Swing U on an instructional mm-hmm. and training app. Talk about what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. So, Pretty excited about this. We're just unveiling it, just kind of out of the beta stage now. Um, you know, ability for me to upload content whenever I, you know, whatever I want, basically. At, at, you know, walking down the fairway, you come up with a drill, you just load it up. And, you know, I, you know, other things like the pictures from our, our, our recent golf trip to Scotland. So, you know, the ability, I, I, I'm not hoping to slow down play, but if, if somebody's out there and they're on the golf course and they come into a situation at our, at our course where we play 8,000 rounds, there's never anybody behind you and they've got the ball below their feet, they can go to the app real quick and, uh, and take a look on how to hit that shot. I wouldn't recommend it for, you know, the course where they're doing 25,000 rounds, but for my members and my <laughs> students, I think it's, uh, you know, it was something that I've always thought that I wanted to do and, and swing you came along. They've been terrific. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to using this device, you know, this app for, for years to come. Paul, I want to get a couple of playing lessons for our listeners as well from you. And, and, and one of the toughest shots in golf is when we've short sighted ourselves just off the green and in, in some heavy rough. It's a shot. We typically mm-hmm. were either trying to scoop it out and we hit it fat or we just dump it right there, you know, and, and don't move the ball very far or scull it, you know, completely across uh-huh. the other side of the green. So how can we do a better job of getting that ball on the green and close to the hole? Yeah, well, I, I see that a lot. You know, we've got a lot of steep embankments at Bulls Bridge. And, and you know, I, I really like to see, to begin with, people keeping a lot of weight on their left side. The, the scooping, the, the hitting behind it, the hitting thin comes from, when that weight shifts from the left side to the right side and, you know, that golf club gets into the grass 
you know, behind the, behind the ball, the thick grass behind the ball. So I like to see people set up with about 70% of the weight on their, on their left side, maybe get a little taller. That's going to help with a steeper angle of attack. And, and then really feel like you, you lift the club. I, I like to see the left wrist almost get a little cupped in the backswing. That would mean, you know, like rather than having your left wrist roll around you, feel like it's moving upward and then really allowing that club to, you know, come down steeply, you know, into the ball. And then I, I almost like to see a little bit of a lower finish. A lot of times when people try and create a higher finish, that golf club leaves the hitting area too quickly. And, and, you know, once again, that leading edge can get into the ball or, we, you know, if we can get, uh, get a little heavy. Paul, another shot we've been talking about here recently, my father and I actually had this conversation this past weekend, is using the hybrid around the greens mm -hmm. to chip with. Talk about how the ground can be our friend, how we can more effectively use the hybrid versus choosing a well-lofted club. Yeah, well, you know, having just come back from Scotland, I mean, this was a shot that I talked to a lot of my members about when we were over there. There's so much tight grass and, you know, you know, the, it's, you first have to identify it, Chris. I mean, I think the hard part is so many times people just kind of default to their lob wedge, you know, and oh, I'm only six paces off. I'm going to take that lob wedge and, you know, you got this tight grass and, and, you know, going back to the last question, that body starts moving a little bit. That sand wedge is going to bounce off that grass right into the back of that ball. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about this on our Scotland trip with, you know, using your putter or using your hybrid. And, you know, I get in there and, and try and choke down a little bit first on the hybrid. I play the ball still in the, in the middle of my stance. Um, I, I use a putting motion. You, you have to develop a little bit of touch. It takes a little bit of time. I mean, not every shot is the same. So you have to you know, realize that ball is going to come off of that hybrid with a little more pop. And, you know, the, that little bit of loft on that hybrid is going to help get that ball initially off the ground, get it up on top of the grass and, and get it rolling, you know, hopefully up onto the green and close to the hole. You know, similar to my putting motion, I'm not engaging my wrists or, you know, my elbows at all. Just trying to, you know, use my sh shoulders and arms and swing that, you know, just back and forth like my putter. And so sticking in that same sort of area, I think one of the things that we all struggle with is trying to get to club selection, right? I mean, we talk about the hybrid mm -hmm. here. You mentioned sand wedge. If it's just a sort of a flat lie and now we're somewhere in that 20, 30 yards off the green or even closer for that matter. Talk mm -hmm. about your, you know, your idea for shot selection. How do we know or for club selection? How do we know which one to go with? Should we be using a lower lofted club like a seven or an eight iron, nine iron pitching wedge? How do you teach your students to decide which club to pull? So I'll take a lot, a lot of my, that's a great question. I'll take a lot of my students out to an area and I'll put three tees in the ground. I'll put, you know, we have a lot of long greens at Bulls Bridge. So I'll take them out, you know, 20 paces off the green or something. I'll put a tee, you know, you know, five, six paces on the next tee, 10, 15 paces on, you know, the next tee, you know, 20, 20, 25 paces on. And Hogan had an old saying, you know, if the pin's in the front, the ball goes in high, pin's in the back, the ball goes in low. The pins on the left, it goes in right to left. The pins on the right, you know, it goes in left to right. So I'll try and get in there and I'll get three different clubs with them. I may get their sand wedge, their nine iron and their seven iron. And we'll stand there from the same spot and we'll try and make the same swing. Now, this is a little bit bigger than the swing I just explained where, you know, it's, it's just a putting motion. This is a little bit bigger than your typical putting motion, but, but it's still, I'm still not using much wrist hinge or, or elbows at all. So if we can kind of continue to make a, a bigger, 
one lever motion, a bigger, you know, almost where you're swinging that club, you know, just shy of waist high and you haven't really engaged the wrist yet. And then swinging it through to a similar length on the follow through, you use that, you know, that pitching wedge or sandwich first. You're going to have a little bit higher trajectory. The ball is not going to have as much run out. You go to that nine iron. You're going to have a mid-height trajectory, mid-trajectory, and then, you know, some run out. And then you go to that seven iron when that ball, you know, pins in the back. And that ball is going to have a lower trajectory, obviously, and a little bit more run. But, you know, we've kind of made one motion. And, you know, you're kind of in a little bit of a gray area here. You're not chipping and you're not, you know, you're not out there pitching where you need to start hinging and using your wrists and, and, and elbows much. But so in that gray area, you can kind of, you know, accomplish, um, you know, three, four, five, six different distances with the same motion and different, different clubs. But, you know, same thing, you know, a lot of weight, some weight on the left side. So we make sure we're catching that ball first. We don't want to, you know, get moving around and, and hit into the ground, you know, behind it. So one more before I let you go, Paul, and yeah, staying on absolutely. that same sort of, uh, that same area. Talk about stance and ball position. I've seen people with a, with a shoulder width stance. I've seen it with feet almost close together. I've seen, Bill Mickelson mm-hmm. talk about, you know, either the ball is way forward off the front toe or is either way mm-hmm. back off the back toe. Talk about what you teach and how we should be, you know, ball position and standing up to that shot. Yeah, so I think, you know, starting out with stance with, you have to assess somebody's mobility and stability. I mean, you know, if somebody's got bad balance, you know, you might go with a little bit wider stance. If somebody's, you know, pretty agile, you know, maybe you get them a little bit more narrow so they to maintain their mobility. And then I'm a believer that, uh, if we're just trying to hit a standard, you know, standard trajectory shot that, you know, you're kind of your seven iron through sandwich is played from the middle of your stance. Then you would move the golf ball, you know, a half inch forward for each club moving, you know, all the way to just about, you know, your left instep with the driver. I'm, I'm a believer that you, know, you get that golf ball in the front of your stance. It's going to be more likely to let people, you know, move through the golf shot, get, get, get onto their left leg. We start, bringing that ball too far back in their stance, you know, unless you're hitting a specialty shot, a low shot, if you're playing in some wind, um, you know, and you move it back in your stance, although that ball should be from, you know, played from the center of your stance, you know, up to towards your left instep with the driver. But like I said, I, I really do assess, you know, stance, stance with based on what I see in the person's, you know, mobility and, and, and how stable they are. Paul, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Uh, well, you know, www.paulremaygolf and, uh, uh, com, obviously. And then, um, on Twitter at Paul Ramey Golf, uh, Instagram, you know, Paul Ramey Golf. Uh, that's about it. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope you'll do it again soon. I always like spending time with you. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Great talking to you. And, and so, tell Tom Patry there that I said hi and uh, good luck out there in Indiana this summer. I will do it. Take care, Paul. All the best to you and your family. Thanks. We'll catch up soon. You too. Thanks so much. Bye. That is the great Paul Ramey. R-A-M-E-E. So check him out uh, online, paulramegolf.com and on uh, on social media at Paul Ramey. I tell you, folks, you, you take a look at some of the things that he posts. First, from a, an instructional perspective, great videos out there available. Again, as I mentioned in his intro, one of the inaugural instructors at uh, Golf Channel Academy. So great stuff available out there in video and then also stuff that uh, you'll find on his website and uh, on social media as well. Look forward to having Paul back on the show again soon. 
All right, before I get to my next guest, Bill Bergen, I want to remind you about a few of our sponsors. And first, folks, well, golf, you know, TaylorMade has done it again. The all-new TaylorMade M5 and M6 drivers are available, and what a story they have. They both feature speed-injected twist face, created through a revolutionary manufacturing process where every single head, and I do mean every single head, is injected and calibrated to the threshold of the legal limit. Basically, every head now is tour spicy, so speed for all of us. Check them out online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Also, I want to give a shout-out to one of our newer sponsors, the Sandestin Resort. Surrounded by white sandy beaches and the beautiful Gulf of Mexico, Sandestin Golf and Beach Resorts offer three championship golf courses open to the public and one semi-private course. With recognition from leading golf magazines and reviewers from around the world, each course provides an exciting challenge in different scenic settings. Golfers can choose to play one or all of the courses, which include Raven Golf Club, the Robert Trent Jones Jr. layout that played host to the uh, PGA to, uh, Champions Tour back in 2006 and 2007. The Lynx Golf Club, designed by Tom Jackson, which offers a winding layout against the backdrop of Baytown Marina and the Chakawachi Bay. Baytown Golf Club, also designed by Tom Jackson, which also offers a fifth set of U.S. Kids Juniors tees. And then there's Burnt Pines Golf Club, which is a semi-private Reese Jones design available only to get registered Sandestin guests. So be sure to check that out. Stay on property so you can play that one as well. Visit them online at sandestin.com forward slash tea time or give them a call at 844-887-SAND to find out more information and to book your tea times. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Bill Bergen. And let me remind you about Bill's background. Played his college golf at Auburn University from 1978 to 1981 and was named a first-team All-SEC player every year, and he helped Auburn win the 1981 SEC championship. His 65 during the 1979 Pan American Tournament still ranks as one of the lowest 18-hole uh, scores in Auburn golf history. Played in over 250 professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open Championships, and over 50 PGA Tour events. He's now recognized as one of the top golf course designers in the world. He started his own design business. It's called Bergen Golf Designs, and you can check them out online at uh, bergengolf.com. He's involved in over 70 golf course design projects, and he's got some renovations going on as well, some very close to me here in Atlanta. And I'm very excited to have Bill back on the show with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bill, thanks for joining me tonight, my friend. Hey, Chris, it's always good to be with you. I appreciate you. So... Bill, like I say in your intro, you've got so many great projects in the works and some that you've recently completed. I wanted to start by getting an update on a course that I'm dying to play, and that's the Macklemore up there outside of Chattanooga, the one you uh, collaborated with Reese Jones on. So talk about how uh, that course is coming and uh, when the grand opening is going to be. Well, Chris, that date is coming soon. It is June 22nd, and we are more than excited. This is a really dramatic, exciting piece of property, and we are thrilled to show it off and of note it's you know it's a beautiful golf course it sits up on lookout mountain so if you picture a, a this mountain plateau that's relatively I, I can't call it flat because it's not but you're up on top of this ridge you look down a thousand feet to Macklemore Cove and our golf course sits up on top of that and it is just an amazing rocky rugged piece of property very natural and um 
you know, an exciting place to just go for a walk, much less play golf. So we, we are really excited to show it off. June 22nd will be the day. Reese Jones will be in town uh, and Steve Weiser as well. So the three of us will be um, having some fun that day. And, Bill, you've got another course that's even closer to me here in Atlanta, Dalton Golf and Country Club, that you're working on. Talk about what's going on there. Well, that's uh, funny you asked because I was actually just working on that one. And um, Dalton is an exciting project for me personally. I won the Georgia Amateur there in 1981, so I have a history with the club. And to be able to go back and work on a course that I have you know, fond memories of and have had success on, is really exciting and it's a great responsibility as well but it's one of those sites that it's 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 old school golf in that there there aren't really houses on the golf course it's sort of a rectangular piece of property with with nothing but golf it has some nice ponds and some streams that run through it and otherwise it's just that ideal site where you get to do old school golf and the club originated in 1915 now on this site it was built probably around 1970 um, but we're going to make it look like it was 1915 on this site. We're going to take it way back and, and do old school design. Uh, we've got the property for it and we have the appetite for it and we have the history for it. So we're going to, we're going to transform Dalton Country Club, take it back as far as the way it looks, but we're going to, you know, obviously bring it into the 21st century as far as maintenance and equipment and all of that kind of stuff. We want it to function like a modern golf course, but play like an old one. So when will that be ready? So we just got approval. Uh, the members just voted to do the project. I am working on grading plans as we speak, uh, getting ready to, you know, we do grading plans and drainage plans and cut and fill plans and irrigation plans and all of that. All of that's happening this summer. We will take it for bid and permitting um, towards the middle to late end of summer, and we will start construction early next spring, sometime after the first year. Uh, and then it will be scheduled for reopening around September of 2020. We want to be, you know, one of those courses that's thought of, you know, throughout the state of Georgia. And Georgia has some great golf. And um, Dalton's got such a good history. It's one of the um, original clubs from from 1915. And we just want to, you know, I can't wait to have the Georgia Amateur come back there, um, you know, several years after we finish this project. That will be very rewarding for me to see the, the young guys going after uh, the state championship trophy uh, on that course again. And, Bill, you mentioned old school golf. Now, with the PGA Championship being played at Beth Page Black, you know, week before last, and it's a great Tillinghast design, you've done some renovation at another Tillinghast course, Oaks Country Club out in Tulsa. Talk about that and what it's like to come in to do some renovation work on a course designed by a legend like Tillinghast. Yeah, that's a great question. So I've been fortunate to work on about about four different um, classic or golden age architects from Ross, Tillinghast, Rayner, and recently William Langford. And so, you know, to work on these, you know, they're practically masterpieces when you think about it because of the history. All these clubs are 100 years old or so. And so it's a big responsibility on on each of those except for the Rayner. Somebody else had already renovated the course extensively. And so the historical aspects have been changed um, dramatically. And so our job was to go back and, and, and restore it. Um, not a perfect restoration because green speeds today are completely different from what they were back then. But I took the, I took the renovation plans at the Oaks that Mark Hayes had done. Um, and I, I, 
I didn't really look at what he did. I looked at his base topo because his base topo were tilling has greens. And so I copied the base topo off of each of each of those plans and, and basically drew greens plans that reflected what Tillinghast had, but then I adjusted the contour to fit with where we could run the greens at you know twelve or thirteen on the stimp meter instead of six or seven. So I mean it's literally that dramatic um, a, a difference. And then we looked at fairway widths and bunker positioning, and you know in, on today's modern course there's cart paths in the wrong place, and back then they didn't have any cart paths. So it's 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 fun to really look back at the old aerial photographs and learn as much as you can about about these projects and then bring them um bring them to the club um in today's time and and the nice thing about the oaks they now have a waiting list and they've never had a waiting list to join their club in history and so that's that's a really uh, a, a great testament to one this tilling house property and two the work that we did to to bring it to life so take that a step further bill and as you mentioned you know looking at aerial photos What's the process? How do you go back and make sure that you're doing justice to the original design to as much as you possibly can based on, as you say, you got to do something to modernize them a bit. But how do you make sure that you're being right. true to what Tillinghast and some of those other guys really intended the course to look like? So Tillinghast was probably the most versatile or diverse architect of the golden age. In other words, his courses did not all look alike. You know, you can tell a McKenzie golf course, you can tell a Ross course, you can you know, this Langford I just did, you can tell, Rayner and McDonald, you can tell their golf courses. Tillinghast had a, had a much wider variety. He had three basic bunker styles that he used on, on different courses. And I was fortunate when I was in college at Auburn, I played in the U.S. Open at Balsall in 1980. And that was my first Tillinghast experience, or at least that I remember. And, and so in doing research, because I knew Baltusrol, I decided to, to do as much history searching as I could, and I looked at old photographs of Wingfoot, Baltusrol, Craig Quaker Ridge, all a ton of Tillinghouse golf courses. I looked at the bunkers and looked at the style of the golf courses and said, okay, this is what I would like to do here at the Oaks. And the members uh, respected that, and they bought in completely that th this is what we would do. And then we restored fairway widths, but we didn't do it exactly like it was. Um, we took most of the the big concepts other than the, the, the great the great desert that Tillinghast often had a, a big bunker complex that crossed a fairway. We did not do that at the Oaks. Uh, and we didn't see evidence of one either. So uh, in the old in the old aerials. So we didn't see that they had one, but um, that's something you'll see like on the seventeenth hole at Baldusrol, for example. So, Bill, in the way we talk with reverence about great golf course designers like a Tillinghast or a Robert Trent Jones or a Tom Fazio, a Donald Ross, or even Alistair McKenzie, very soon, Bill Bergen is going to be on that list. So you've got a great legacy going already, and I'm sure it's just going to you know, build throughout the rest of your career. Do you ever let that sort of set in? And you know, realize the impact that you're making on the game of golf, not just now for the renovations and the and the courses that you're in the process of building, but the impact that you're leaving behind and the legacy that you are leaving behind for generations of golfers to come. You know, in the early days, I certainly did not think about that, Chris. But now I've been in business for 25 years with my own company, so that's a milestone right there. And and then and now we're working on better and better projects. Um, we're getting to work on some of the top projects in the southeast and even Minnesota, Oklahoma, and we're starting to branch out uh, more than just, I'm going to Arkansas next week to look at a project. So we're 
we're starting to go more places. Um, but to work on these historical projects is really exciting. And then, of course, you know, I've got some new courses out there, too. In the Macklemore course, um, we have the possibility of a future brand-new golf course up there as well to go with the one we already have. So so that would be, a, um, you know, something that would be really exciting. And then right now we're doing five courses in the mountains and one at the beach, not to mention Dalton and some other projects. So we're, we're um, somebody – was kidding with me that I've kind of got Western North Carolina wrapped up, but the truth is Tom Faggio has got a lot of that as well. So Bill, when you're doing an original course design, when you're laying it out and trying to figure out, you know, the distance of holes and what that's all going to look like, is, is, is there a goal for you to make sure that a player is tested throughout his or her bag? Like you want to make sure that, you know, Hey, they're going to have to hit, you know, driver, three wood. They're going to have to hit a long iron to get into this par four. They're going to have to hit a short one here. They're going to have to play it left to right and right to left so that we sort of get through all of our bag and all of our shots in order to, you know, play successfully on one of your designs. Absolutely. That's certainly the goal. But the land's telling you what to do. And so, um, you know, the first thing you're doing is you're you're looking at a topo map and you're deciding, okay, here are some holes that, 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 really speak to me on, on the topo map that, you know, you're looking at it three dimensionally, it's coming to life and you're saying, this is a great area. I'm going to start here. And, and you're basically putting together a 20 piece puzzle. You've got 18 holes, you have a clubhouse area, you have practice facilities and you may have real estate as well. And so you've got a lot of components that are going into that, but, but you're exactly right. I am way uh, in, interested in club selection diversity, I don't believe in overall yardage as much as I believe in that diversity. I want a short par three. I want a couple middle length par threes. I'd like one long one. I want two or three good long par fours on a golf course. I mean, Chattanooga is one of our favorite. It's Ross that we redid. And it's a little bitty golf course, only about 6,700 yards. But we have two par fours over 470 yards. And so those really stand the test. But we also have two par fours under 320 yards. So that, that takes yardage away. We have a 125-yard par 3 and a 225-yard par 3. So, again, I like yardage diversity. I don't want you just hitting driver 9-iron on every par 4. I want you tested on a few, and I want, to, I, want, I want to give you opportunities. I really feel like the best courses have this basic flow between opportunities and challenges. And you got to take advantage of those opportunities because you are going to be challenged at some point during the round. Well, a couple more before I let you go. And you talk about distances and diversity and that sort of thing. Well, you've seen the performance of the golf ball evolve over the years. And I love one of the recent tweets that you put out when you found an old Dunlop Blue Dot golf ball on uh, one of your job sites. Talk about that and what it was like playing those golf balls versus today's golf ball. You know, it's funny. We put that ball on, on the ground on our office and hit a couple of chip shots with it. And if you if you hit a golf ball, one of the old balls with a wooden club or even even with an iron, it sounds like you're hitting a bar of soap. And today's balls are so loud. And, um, and you know, there's just no comparison to what you know. I don't think people that that are playing today can even imagine what it's like. I know our golf coach at Auburn University at one point had taken out. I don't know where he got the balada balls, but he took out some balada balls and, and took out an old set of clubs. And the first hole at Auburn, the young guys can probably hit three wood and eight or nine irons would be how they'd play the hole. And with a wooden club and a lot of ball, I think they were hitting driver four irons. So just wow. a completely different, just a completely different game. And so, you know, the, the, 
the equipment, the, the, certainly the ball um, makes a huge difference. And then when you're swinging a 45-inch driver versus a 43-inch driver, you're simply going to hit it farther. And they couldn't make a 45-inch driver in 1980 that you really could control consistently. It's too heavy. Um, it just didn't have the materials that they have today that, that are so good. And so, and plus, you remember what those heads looked like. They were, they were tiny. So, uh, quite a difference. But golf is still a hard game and it's still a great game and people, you know, love playing. But, um, it is hard to design for today's college or elite player and, or professional simply because they hit it so far. Um, you know, it was great to see Colonial this week, Kevin Na, not necessarily a long hitter, on an old-school golf course, uh, got the job done and, and really, really played great. Bill, I want to I wanna get uh, your thoughts. I know you're doing some work with Jason Duffner to help provide meals to kids in the Auburn, Alabama area. Talk about what you guys are doing together. Well, that's Jason's deal. So he has done an amazing thing. He started a foundation that feeds hungry kids at school. And he feeds, oh, I don't know if it's 10 or 15. I don't have the stats. But I participated in, in an event that he had. And I was really glad to do so and look forward to doing it again next year and contributing to this. But he raised $150,000 in one day. And he had guys like Matt Kutcher there. And Billy Horsell was there. And Ricky Fowler was there. And this was a fantastic event that I just was a participant and really enjoyed it. I actually got to play with Jason, though, so that was fun because I spent, you know, four and a half or five hours or whatever that was with him and learned about this. But but what a great thing that he's doing. And um, right after that, after playing with us, he, he went up to Quail Hollow and, and, and made a good run at trying to win the golf tournament. I think he finished in the top five, which was his best event for the year. So. He's um he's working on his game. He always hits it great. He needs to he needs to get the ball in the hole and uh, a little quicker, a few less shots, and he he'll be fine. Bill, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's on your uh, website or it's following you on social media. Yeah, well, you know we're really active on social media. We share our projects. We we show progress um, shots all the time of what's happening, and it's sort of a, you get a little education about golf course design, but but um. BergenGolf.com is our website, and then we're on on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, and, and just just Google Bergen Golf, and you'll find us. Um, because it's it's you know people enjoy golf, they enjoy the pictures, and and we're getting to work in some beautiful places. And uh, tomorrow we're heading up to Roaring Cap, North Carolina. We're leaving this 90 degree weather, and it's going to be nice and cool, and no humidity up there. So um, that will be a really nice thing. Nah, good for you. Bill, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. Always have such a great time spending time with you. Hope you'll come back and join me again. Give us an update again soon. My pleasure, Chris, and I need to get you up to Macklemore. That's a a really, again, an exciting place, and we can't wait for June 22nd. Yeah, I'm excited about it, too, so I look forward to the opportunity playing there. So I appreciate you very much, Bill. Thank you for your time, my friend. Yeah, thank you. Bye. See you, Bill. That is a great Bill Bergen. Again, bergengolf.com is the name of his website, and you can follow him on Twitter and on Instagram at Bill at uh, Bergen Golf as well. So I tell you what, folks, I, I you know, he sort of underplayed, uh, if you can imagine, how beautiful Macklemore is, and he was, you know, gave it, you know, some glowing remarks. Well, I tell you what, if you go on that site and check it out to see what it actually looks like and the views, he talked about the views. I mean, it's spectacular. Like you said, you know, it's it's amazing just to be able to walk 
out there, and then you think you get to play golf out there as well. It's absolutely outstanding. I, I can't, I can't encourage you highly enough to check out what that golf course looks like. Opening June 22nd, right outside of Chattanooga. Um, boy, I'm just, you know, hopefully uh, I get the opportunity to get up there and check it out because uh, it looks like just an absolutely spectacular golf course. All right, before I get to my next guest, Tom Patry, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. Check them out online at PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at PVibesGolf. Their head covers and putter covers, folks, are a unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts and a great on-course training aid to stay positive and put positive, happy images in your mind. They've got a head cover giveaway contest going on right now. Check it out on Twitter, at PVibesGolf, or see them online at PositiveVibesGolf.com. I also want to welcome Golf Pride to the next on the T family. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and experience the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. Hey folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at Two Under. I want to welcome our newest sponsor, Two Under Men's Performance Briefs, the unofficial underwear of the PGA Tour. Worn by PGA Tour players like Ricky Fowler, David Toms, Jerry Kelly, William McGirt, Jason Kokrak, and Matt Everett, to name just a few. Your buddies are going to think you're a stud if they're even seeing you in your underwear, but that's another story. And your girlfriend and her wife is going to love the side effects, a visibly enhanced profile. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management. It separates a man's most valuable assets from bodily contact to reduce unwanted skin-on-skin contact, providing less chafing, more control, and an altogether more luxurious feel. Start every round two under by wearing the coolest performance briefs on the market. Use code ONTHET20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. And that's the number 2, UNDR.com. And now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is my good friend Tom Patry. I think, you know, when you have been a part of the show for a 16th time, which it'll be tonight, his 16th appearance here on the show, I can refer to you as our resident golf instructor. He certainly is one of my favorite people on the planet. He is one of the top instructors in the game. Golf Tip Magazine has him as a top 25 instructor, and he's the new director of instruction at the Hawthorns Golf and Country Club up in Fishers, Indiana. And that, of course, is Tom Patry, and I'm very excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, TP. How are you, my friend? Christopher, my man. What's going on, big boy? <laughs> I'm doing well, my friend. How are things up in Fishers, Indiana? Well, before we get into that, I want to just go back a little bit and just uh, give a shout out to your two previous guests because Bill Bergen in the uh, world of golf course architecture and Paul Ramey in the world of teaching are two of the most unsung heroes out there. Just both very, very talented in their in their particular fields and Guys, I have great admiration for. Um, Paul's been a friend for a long time. Billy and I played against each other in college. We've known each other for the better part of, uh, well, I guess 40 years now. Um, really talented guys. And what great guests you have there and those two guys, huh, Chris? Yeah, no, no question. And Paul wanted me to give a, give you a shout out because he had talked earlier in the show about some work you had done with his son Hunter for a while. So he wanted me to be sure to say hi to you. Uh, for yeah, him as well. People. So wonderful, wonderful people. You know, Paul comes from the Bob Ford lineage. Um, 
famous Bob Ford of Oakmont and, and, and Seminole and had some uh, some great training there and, and just uh, part of that, that network of professionals that Bob Ford has produced and he's uh, he's done Bob really proud in his career. He's a wonderful guy. Indeed. I couldn't agree with that statement more. So, TB, tell us, how are things uh, at the new summer home at the Hawthorne's Golf and Country Club there in uh, Fishers, Indiana? Well, Chris, I'm, I'm building, I'm right now I'm in, in the midst of building an ark because it's been raining so much here. Uh, I've gone out and bought a life preserver today and a kayak. And, and if it doesn't stop, if it doesn't stop raining, I'm, I'm going to have to put the vest on and, and start swimming. It's been, it's been just coming down sideways here. We had a break in the weather today and we got some lessons in. And in spite of the bad weather, it's been going great. The people have been wonderful. Um, a big shout out to one of my students. I'm sure listening tonight, Brian Thornton, who's a, a guy who just made me feel so welcome here. The members are much like him. They've all been just great. Brian was a college basketball player at Xavier and now works for the NCAA. And they took me downtown and gave me a tour in the NCAA. And, you know, the people just are so friendly here. It's, it's been wonderful. So, uh, we're off to a good start. If we can get, if we can get the sun to come out a little bit, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll be rocking and rolling. Well, that's good news, you know, because one of the things I wanted to kind of get your perspective on is, you know, now you're up in a new area, a place where you've never lived before. Got to be a challenge to plop down in a new city with brand new clientele, brand new students, no family in the area. So, you know, how how are you finding trying to assimilate into the Midwest? Well, you know, that's that's a great question, Chris. Uh, people, you know, I think people think that uh, – the life of a club pro or a teaching professional is pretty glamorous. And you go to work every day, you play a little golf, you give a few lessons, and you go home. Um, this is my 39th year of, of what we call a split season, where I'll teach, you know, at home in Florida during the winter, and then you know I've got you got to leave Florida during the summer to make a living. But you just can't make a living teaching golf in Florida. And and depending on where you're going and what your particular deal is with a particular club, sometimes your family comes with you, and, and most time they don't. So. I'm in a stretch here where from May 4th till I'm going to, I'm going to sit and sneak home for a couple of days in late June. I'll go the better part of uh, seven and a half weeks without seeing my wife. Um, and it's, it, it, that's not a lot of fun. Um, it's, it's, and, and you can disguise in any way you want, but it, it's just not a lot of fun. So you, you get done at the end of the day teaching and maybe you talk from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night. And maybe you go to the gym and work out and you grab a meal somewhere in a restaurant and you go back and you stare at the four walls and you watch about as much sports center as you can swallow and you fall asleep and you do it again. So it's, 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 um, and I'm not trying to sound sorry for myself because I'm part of a wonderful game and a wonderful group of people here, but it's, it's not ideal. It's not, uh, it's not as glamorous as people think it is necessarily. Tom, I want to switch gears a little bit, and I want to get your thoughts on uh, on Brooks Kepka. He's got four major championship wins now. He's got you know six wins. I you know you count two others on the PGA Tour. Plus, he's got one over on the European Tour. So six or seven wins, no matter you know depending on how you want to count it up. But when you look at a guy like him, right? He's the fifth wire to wire winner in the PGA Championship. So fifth time in history that someone won wire to wire. He's the first player in history to defend both the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship. And now he's tied for fourth with seven other guys for the most major wins before the age of 30. So when you take a look at a guy like Brooks Kepka, and again, he's got an interesting sort of line, right? Four majors, but only two other PGA Tour wins. What's your assessment on Kepka, and where does he fall now with uh, in the history books, in your uh, in your opinion? 
Well, first of all, right now, at this moment, Chris, he's got to be considered the best player in the world today at this moment. Uh, four majors before the, you know, at the, at the age he's at right now. And, and, and by the way, although I think the American golfing public doesn't look at European tour wins very closely or wins overseas, that, that, that's, those are quality golf fields. Those are world-class fields. I mean, they're not, he's not like he's playing against, you know, a bunch of second-rate players. That, you know, they, by the way, remember the Ryder Cup score this year? Let's keep that in mind. So that's who he's playing against. Um, Brooks Kepka is right now, at this moment, I might, might be sticking my foot in my mouth, is bulletproof. I mean, he drives the ball beautifully. He drives it a mile. He drives it in play for the most part. He's a wonderful iron player. He puts the ball fearlessly. He's got a fairly good wedge game. He controls his golf ball beautifully, both in terms of, of distance, direction, and trajectory. I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, why is there any doubt about who Brooks Kepker is in the game right now and, and what he's accomplished in the last, you know, 24, 24 months? I mean, it's incredible what he's done. I mean, you know, he, he basically, and, I, and listen, I'm not taking anything away from Tiger Woods at the Masters, but basically he gave Tiger Woods the Masters. He, you know, he had four or five penalty shots and four or five three putts and lost by, you know, lost by two there. I mean, or he would have won an Augusta also. And if he'd won an Augusta, what would we be talking about right now? It's just an incredible, incredible run of golf and some quality shot making. Incredible. So to that end, and you mentioned Tiger, right? When Do you think Tiger is, I mean, again, taking back the fact that, you know, Brooks isn't out there winning five, six, seven times a year in, in regular tour events. But when you look at his performance in the majors, to your point, He's a ball in the water on 12, probably from winning the Masters. And now he's won back-to-back U.S. Opens. He's won back-to-back PGA Championships. There's no reason to think he can't three-peat in the U.S. Open. So is Tiger looking at perhaps a younger version of himself with the power game, plus being able to be really good on the greens as well? You know, I think, I think Chris, we have to go back historically a little bit. We looked at Jack Jack's dominances, his Jack's dominance in golf, and we looked at Watson playing – great golfer streak at the time and then we watched Greg Norman, you know, you know, roll roll off some great, great years and, and now we're watching and then we watch Tiger and now we're watching Brooks. And the one thing you gotta keep in mind and through all those different careers we just mentioned, the fields have gotten stronger and deeper and stronger and deeper. You know, we we, we talk about the guys at the top right now. We talk about DJ, we talk about Brooks, and we always talk about Tiger, it seems like of course, and, and, and we should. But Think about the cast of characters and how deep it is behind them, whether it's Justin Thomas or, or you know, Rory McIlroy. And you just keep going Ricky Fowler and you, you go down the line. I mean, the fields are so damn deep now, Chris. It's just incredible. So going to Pebble, which is a different type of a venue, okay, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit shorter venue than maybe, you know, certainly a Bethpage Black played at 7,600 yards par 70. It brings a lot more players, I think, into the mix. It's not, you know, let's put it this way. Um, you can name whoever you want to, but Matt Tuchel wasn't going to win at Beth Page Black. I'm sorry. He just wasn't going to win there. And, and you know, Kevin Kisner wasn't going to win at Beth Page Black. And Kevin Na was never going to win at Beth Page Black. But at Pebble Beach, um, at par 72, and, and, a, and a much shorter golf course than Black, you're bringing a lot more people back into the mix. So, Listen, Brooks is definitely the favorite. Uh, Tiger won by 15 shots there. I mean, how many other guys could win there? Um, you know, let's keep in mind, Graham McDowell won there, okay? He's not exactly overpowering. 
So I think it's going to be a little bit different open in terms of, you know, how many guys could potentially win the event. So let's let's take that a step further, Tom. You know, when you when you look at some of the early views of what Pebble is starting to look like now, that they've grown up the rough, very tall. It's also clumpy and uneven. So they're trying to, I think, put a, an emphasis on getting the ball, driving the ball in the fairway, just not bombing it to wherever and taking a short iron into the green. So I think in, in that respect, it's going to be similar to how the, at least the course setup was at Beth Page, but you're you're right, much much shorter. But then you got you got a lot you know got a lot of wind conditions that we could see out there. So that could have a major factor in make the making the golf course play longer. So what do you expect to see at the US Open and who do you expect to see as the guys at the top of the leaderboard uh, on that Sunday? Well I certainly I certainly expect all the, the regular cast of characters. Don't get me wrong, Chris. I, I you know DJ has a great history at Pebble. Tiger has a great history at Pebble. Brooks is Brooks, right? But, you know, we're all waiting around for a guy like, um, for example, we're all waiting around for a guy like Ricky Fowler to win a major, okay? I think he's in play, mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, you know, Kevin Kisner comes to mind, you know, as a guy who's a great ball striker and just, just tough as nails. I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if a dark horse came out, you know, out of the pack and played well at Pebble. So you're bringing guys like that back into play. Kuchar certainly hits the ball extremely straight. You know, and he's he's toyed around with winning a major for a lot of years. Could this be his time? So you can go you can go through some you know, and I don't want to call them second tier players because they're not second tier players. They're obviously wonderful, wonderful players. But you're bringing a lot more guys back into the mix. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, Justin Thomas. Now we don't know how his wrist is right now, but you can never factor him out. He's such a great player. So I I think Pebble will be interesting because I think. I think the leaderboard could get, and I hope it does, get really, really jammed up a little bit, and, and that, that would be a lot of fun. Keep in mind, Chris, also, and, I, and, and again, barring the wind and barring weather, a guy like Brooks will not have to hit driver a lot of times at Pebble if, if it's not really windy. Um, if it's firm and fast, which it could be, you know, he doesn't have to hit a lot of drivers there, uh, and he could keep the ball in play with, with different golf clubs off the tee. So, there's a lot of different storylines here that can come into play. Tom, you've mentioned DJ a couple of different times. When you look at Brooks and DJ, is Brooks the man? Is DJ the man because he's won, you know, way more golf tournaments than, than Brooks has? Who do you think is the guy to beat week in and week out now and why? Well, you know, it's really interesting. I, I, I've, got to, I've got to wonder or I've got to kind of surmise that, that uh, Brooks has a, still has a chip on his shoulder. He feels like DJ's got a lot more attention, and maybe rightfully so with the number of wins he has. But you know, if you were if you made a choice, Chris, and yourself, would would you take the majors or would you take the tour wins? And would you be would you be DJ or would you be Brooks right now? So I think if you walked into somebody's somebody's den and you saw 18 trophies on the wall, 18 regular tour events. And you walked into the den next door and it had four major trophies on the wall. Which den would you like to be yours? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take the majors, take, thank you. I'll take I'll take the four majors, right? So, you know, I, I, I you know I, I think Jack Jack kind of not brainwashed us, but made us think about and put rightfully so put majors on a different pedestal. So I'm I'm really happy for DJ that he won the Barclays a couple of times, but I'll take those two PGAs and those two U.S. Opens. And thank you very much. You know, I mean, yeah. it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me. And I, I, I listen. I don't think Dustin Johnson is done. 
I don't think he's done by any stretch of the imagination. And if you said to me Dustin Johnson's going to win five more majors, would I would I doubt you? I probably would. But if you said to me Brooks is going to win five more, two and have nine, would you would I doubt you? And the answer would be no either. So I think we got to wait for the history books to kind of be written. But I think you're going to see a lot of good golf and a lot of push and pull between those two guys over the next ten years. It's going to be a lot of fun. Listen, it. Listen, the sad part of this whole deal is Tiger's 43. He doesn't have 10 more years. He might have four, okay? But Brooks and DJ are going to be around for a while. Um, and so is Justin Thomas, and so is Jordan Spieth, and so is Rory McIlroy, you know, and so is Ricky Fowler. So we got a lot of good golf ahead of us here, a lot of good golf. Tom, a couple more before I let you go. And you and I have been down on the USGA over the last couple of years, including just a couple of weeks ago when you were on the show talking about how poorly they handled the timing of the women's senior open championship. But surely Tom, surely they can't mess up a U.S. open at Pebble beach, right? They can't do that. You can't mess up a U.S. open at Pebble. Can you? I, I, I have a lot of faith that they can do it, Chris, you know, a lot of faith <laughs> that they can do this. You know, I, 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 I wouldn't sell them short. They, they've become, Experts. Now listen, I, I have, I'm not going to mention the name, but I have a really close friend that works at the USGA in a very high position. And we had a conversation a while back and, and, and I, it was a very benign conversation and I couldn't even go there. And he's heard me be critical about the organization and he kind of danced around it. But I just hope and pray for his sake. And he's a wonderful guy and he, he has not been responsible for any of the blunders, but he's been on the periphery, and he's he's just he's ele- his position his position has been elevated, and I pray to God for his sake that everything goes well there, because he's a wonderful guy. But I'll tell you what, historically, if you and I got on the plane to Vegas tonight, we'd probably get pretty good odds on the fact that they could screw something up there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, Tom, I, you've I, got you know, a great piece. On, on, on the same point, I was, listening to, I was listening to a serious XM radio show on PGA Tour Network today, and I'll say it was a a very well-known teacher who has a show, and although I'm not a big fan of this person, he has been on the USGA. He makes you and I look like we love the USGA, like we're like we're their best <laughs> friends. He just he just all he does is ride the USGA. But I got to tell you something: every single point he made was valid. And I'm listening to it, thinking about you and I, and I'm saying to myself, man, these guys are just taking heat from all directions right now. And with Pebble coming up, and, you know, who doesn't like to watch the U.S. Open coming from Pebble Beach on TV, right? I mean, the whole world will be tuned in. And Brooks is so hot right now, and DJ and all these. It's such a great build-up tiger. So, you know, if they if they lay an egg at Pebble, I, you know, we, I just pray to God it goes well. Please. Tom, remind our listeners once again how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media. Chris, uh, the easiest way, of course, is www.tompatry.com. But there's a Facebook presence and there's a Twitter presence and a LinkedIn presence and an Instagram presence. And and none of that really matters. The place I like them to tune in the most is right here on your show because this is the most fun we have a couple of times a month. And it's so fun to be part of the show and it's so fun to be on after people like Bergen and after after Ramey. And there's so many other great people you have on here, you know, whether it's Debbie O'Connell or Gail Graham or 
Allison Kerr. You, you just do such a great job, Chris, for us, and, and, and the golf world needs more of you. So thank you. Ah, ah, I appreciate you, Tom. Thank you very much. My friend, you are the best. I can't wait uh, for a couple of weeks from now for us to get the opportunity to catch up again. It's always so much fun when you're a part of the show. Uh, I can't remember, uh, thank you enough for your time. One thing, remember one thing. We, we, the, the listeners don't know that you were bad enough in my Yankees on, on text messages last night. So <laughs> I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to forget that. I'm not going to let you off on that one. So pal, just, just keep watching this October's coming. Okay. Go Red Sox. That's all I got for you, yeah, Tom. Go Red Sox. Randy, Randy World Series champions. Go Red Sox. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Kyle, you have a Big great KCP. night. Thanks so much. Okay, buddy. I Bye. appreciate you. See ya. That's the great Tom Patry. P-A-T-R-I. TomPatry.com. And follow him on Instagram and on uh, Twitter as well, at Tom Patry. He is uh, fantastic and uh, always makes the show so much fun. Looking forward to having Tom back on the show again in a couple of weeks. All right, I'll get to my next guest, Scott White, on the other side of this real quick station break. Here, PGA and LPGA legends, pros, top instructors, and media members from around the country sharing their stories, insights, and playing lessons every week right here on Next on the Tee. Take it away, Chris. And now back with me on the French Lick Resort guest line is the CEO of the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company, and that is Scott White. Scott has done an outstanding job bringing one of the most iconic brands in golf back to life. The brand is back on tour as well, being played by J.J. Henry and Mark Brooks. They've got several great lines of irons that you hear me talking about every week here on the show, from their Fort Worth irons to their PTX and new PTX Pro line of irons to their Edge irons, the great line of Equalizer wedges and the VKTR hybrids. And now this year, they've added a wonderful line of putters and now a new driver and a fairway wood, which I can't wait to talk about. And I'm very excited to have Scott back with me here on the show again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Scott, thanks for joining me again tonight. How are you? Hey, I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So, Good. Scott, we got to get right into it because I am I am tickled pink in various other colors to hear about the the driver and the fairway wood. And, uh, boy, I've looked at them online and the, the GS53 driver looks absolutely spectacular. Talk about what sets that driver apart from what's out there in the rest of the market. Yeah, you know, we're really excited about it as well. I mean, it's a it's a classic uh Hogan look and, uh, and it, it, you know, first and foremost, it, we wanted to make sure it performed as well, if not better than anything else on the marketplace. And, and we accomplished that. But, uh, you know, the, re- the response and the, uh, the opinions that we've received from people who've hit it and tried it, and it's only been on the market now for a week or so is that it just looks so classic and elegant and, and such, you know, it's, it's, it's so totally pure Hogan that, uh, you know, it's it's uh, that that's what really makes it different. There's nothing that's artificial about it. There's nothing uh, extraneous. The graphics are really simplified, and um, you know that that's what really sets it apart. If you look at, uh, you know, it compared to some of the other products on the marketplace, um, all of which are great, ours just looks differently and uh, performs great. So, Scott, I, I saw that the face of the driver has varied thickness to increase the size of the sweet spot but also helps maximize distance when you hit, you know, on off center hits, whether you hit it on the toe or hit it on the heel. Talk about the face of the club and how that helps make us hit, uh, hit more consistently straight shots. 
Yeah, you know, it's as as you said, it's forged, which is unusual. Um, you know, we we may be at this point the only uh, driver on the market that has a forged face, and you know, we think that's really important. It it provides a lot more consistency. Um, doesn't have any hot spots or dead spots that uh, you know an investment cast driver can uh, can have. Um, but we have our own proprietary, what we call face map. And, uh, you know, that's been done over, over the course of a lot of, uh, computer modeling and, you know, provides, as you said, for varying thicknesses at different spots across the face. It's certainly, uh, as you would expect, the th- thickest in the center of the club face, but, uh, thinner at the edges. And so, if uh, you're a player like me who doesn't hit the center of the club face very often, uh, you know, it, it, it minimizes distance loss. Um, it really goes great and sounds great when you hit it in the middle of the club face. But, um, you know, again, if you're off on the toe or the heel, you're not going to lose a lot of distance. So uh, it, it performs great and, and uh, sounds great as well. And then you've also it's also very adjustable right you can change the loft the lie the face angle so that it can adjust to help us maximize our performance on, on our current swing talk about how easily it is adjustable for those of us who aren't experts in uh, in golf club equipment yeah you know we looked at a lot of the other um, uh, adjustability features on competitive products and you know just found them to be really quite confusing and and uh and difficult to adjust. And so we developed a pretty simplified process or a simplified design called, we call it flight control. And, you know, it has, it has eight different settings. It's very easy to change and adjust. Uh, you know, the loft goes up or down one degree. Uh, the face angle changes, uh, with that, with those changes as well. Um, as does the lie. And, uh, it, you know, it, it's, it's very intuitive. It can be done, you know, on, on a range or before you're round in, in, you know, 10 seconds or less. Uh, what, we, what we really like about it, though, is that when you make these changes, it doesn't change the grip position or the shaft graphics position. So, um, you know, I've had drivers, I'm sure we've all had drivers where you make changes and all of a sudden everything looks uh, looks differently when you look down on the club in the playing position. Uh, but this keeps everything centered and keeps the position, again, of the grip and the shaft graphics um, in the way that you had originally aligned it. So uh, it's a great system, really simple and really easy to use. Scott, let's talk a little bit about the fairway woods. And the first thing that struck me when I was viewing some of the uh, the videos online was the low profile that it has, which I like because to me that gives me more confidence. Just, you know, when, when I'm looking down at the golf club and seeing a lower pro- profile fairway wood, I feel more confident that I'm going to be able to get that ball up in the air more easily. Talk about the construction of the fairway wood and what that looks like. Yeah, uh, you know, that was the the low profile design was again done on purpose for exactly the reasons you just described. Um, you know, there are a lot of three woods and five woods on the market right now that are you know, have, have very deep faces and um, probably are designed more to hit the ball off the tee than they are off the fairway. And, uh, you know, we designed the GS53 fairways with the idea that, you know, first and foremost, they're designed to be hit off turf, uh, whether that be the rough or, or the middle of the fairway. Um, so these are, are uh, steel design, not not titanium, but again, a forged face with a uh, 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 steel body. 
that is joined together through some laser welding and other techniques that are pretty complicated. And, uh, you know, again, very classic, clean and, and elegant design, um, you know, kind of a, a throwback design in a lot of ways to, uh, you know, to, to, um, you know, the olden days of fairway woods and, you know, they have the speed slot as, as does the driver and, uh, again, are, are really easy to hit and uh, we think kind of a sleeper in our product line. We've had people that just rave about them and, uh, you know, we've actually outsold fairway woods so, more so than uh, than drivers, which is which is great. And you mentioned the speed slot. Talk for a moment about what that is. Yeah, the, the speed slot's uh, you know, kind of a tip of the hat to to Mr. Hogan and and some of the designs that he had when he was manufacturing persimmon woods. It's a you know a notch out on the toe, um, really originally designed to reduce weight, um, but it does have some aerodynamic properties as well. It it uh, it creates more club head speed, um, and and you know really is something that's been unique to Hogan Woods for for many many years. Um, so it's. Uh, it's kind of a cool look, and and people uh, people who see it again or see it for the first time really think that it's it's something cool, and but it does have some functionality as well. And Scott, you mentioned kind of a, a look back to olden days, and another thing I noticed in your fairway woods is not only do they come in a three and five wood, but they also have a four wood option as well, and that's something I haven't seen in a long time. What made you guys decide to uh, include four wood as an option? Well, you know, Forwood was really, uh, you know, Mr. Hogan's go-to club for a long, long time. And um, we were kind of confused as to why people had gotten away from that or other manufacturers had gotten away from that. We had heard a lot about, you know, weak three woods and strong five woods. And, you know, at the end of the day, those are basically four woods. And so we asked, you know, ourselves and, and our engineers and designers, why don't we just make a four wood? Um, you know, that's that is designed first and foremost to be that exactly a four wood so you know we've got a three wood that's 14 degrees the four wood is 16 degrees and the five wood is you know a traditional 18 degrees and uh you know it's it's it, it makes things easier I mean, now you don't have to worry about a three plus or a five minus or whatever the case may be this is just a you know designed first and foremost to be a four wood so um you know we've we've had great response to it and and um you know, again, it's it's a little bit of a of a nod to the way Mr. Hogan approached the game. And Scott, one of the things that I love about the philosophy you guys have promoted out there on your site around these new woods is it's not simply all about power. For most of us, a 300 yard drive just isn't in our bag. We don't we don't have that shot. The same for a 275 yard three wood. What we need is accuracy. Talk about how the design of these woods gives us, a, you know, gives us distance, but it also really gives us accuracy as well. Yeah, the the, the uh, fairway woods specifically were designed with accuracy in mind first and foremost. Um, you know, they have a, a squared face, is not a closed face or a hook face, which which a lot of other uh, a lot of other manufacturers do for for many different reasons, but. You know, our goal was to get you from point A to point B on the golf course as as easily as possible. That doesn't mean that these are short for uh, short fairway woods by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, you know, they're they're as you said earlier, designed first to inspire confidence. Um, 
you know, get the ball up in the air very easily, um, you know, have, have very, uh, uh, tight bulge and roll tolerances, um, which will bring the ball back into play if you, if you hit it out over the fairway or, or excuse me, over into the rough. Um, but they're again, really designed first and foremost to be played from the fairway and not off the tee. They do work well off the tee, but they're, you know, they're designed for an intended purpose. They're, they're not drivers and they're not, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not long irons. They're, they're meant to have serve a specific purpose. And, and, you know, we looked at the history of fairway woods and decided, Hey, this is what, you know, this is the way that the game is meant to be played. It's the way Mr. Hogan played it. And, um, you know, that was our, you know, defining mission when we set out to develop the GS53 fairway woods. Scott, just a couple more before we let you go. And you, you mentioned going from point A to point B. For those folks who weren't with us the last time you joined me, talk about the new putter line and how the design of those faces are forged and CNC milled and the different, uh, the, the different options you have available in the, in the putter line as well. We introduced the, uh, precision milled forged putters about mm, probably two months ago now and, and have had, had, you know, great reaction to them. Um, as, as with everything we do at Ben Hogan, these are forged putters, um, not investment casts. So they have a, a very unique feel to them, uh, much more solid, much more consistent. And, uh, you know, we developed not a, not a really deep product line. You know, we don't intend or want to be the, you know, the, the number one putter in golf or, uh, but we really developed these for real Hogan aficionados, people that wanted a, a full bag of, of Hogan equipment in their, um, you know, in their bags. So we have, um, three blade designs, pretty traditional, pretty, uh, uh, pretty normal looking, uh, um, designs, uh, but all are diamond black, uh, the, uh, the diamond black milled finish and then one mallet as well. So they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're great looking, great performing, great feeling. Um, you know, they're at a, at a great price as well as, as always because of our factory direct business model. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're fantastic products. I mean, we're really excited about it. And more importantly, uh, you know, our golfers or people who are, are, are Hogan folks, uh, have, have really uh, adopted them as well. Scott, you've also got some great accessories, like some very cool Ben Hogan head covers. So for the Ben Hogan enthusiasts, talk about the accessories that you guys have available online at BenHoganGolf.com. Yeah, but, you know, we have a very, very loyal following. Um, you know, people who, who play our products typically want to show that off in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, we've got some great bags, carry bags. The BH1 carry bag is, um, you know, has won a bunch of awards for its simplicity and, and utility. Um, you know, we've got a line of uh, umbrellas and uh, high-end, uh, really a great tour inspired towels, um, some travel gear, you know, it's not a very deep line. Um, but again, it's for that person who is really proud of the fact that they play Ben Hogan products and, um, and, and wants to carry that, uh, you know, that feeling, you know, to and on the golf course. Um, so all of these are authentic as, as we call them and, and really meant to, um, you know, to, to help help the game, help them play their, their best golf when they're uh, traveling to and from the golf course. 
Scott, before we let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you guys are coming out with, order the product and all those sorts of things, both online and then follow you guys on social media as well. Yeah, the be- the best thing to do, quite honestly, is to go to our website, BenHoganGolf.com. We spend uh, a lot of time in keeping it up to date and are constantly adding new video and new content. So um, I would urge people to, to visit that uh, often and as frequently as possible. And, you know, there's some cool links there to our uh, to join our email database and and, uh, and join follow us on social media as well. We're, we're really active on on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. So uh, that would be the best the best way to do it. Well, Scott, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. I'm very excited, as always, about the, the things that you are doing, the Ben Hogan golf equipment from your irons to your to the new putters and obviously the equalizer wedges as well. All fantastic stuff and uh, very excited about the driver and the fairway woods as well. But I uh, can't thank you enough for your time and sharing the information. Look forward to uh, hearing about all the great things you guys are doing again, I'm sure, very soon. Great. Thanks for having me, Chris. Good to talk to you again. All right. Take care, Scott. All the best to you and your family. You too. Goodbye. That is Scott White. He is the CEO of the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company, BenHoganGolf.com. Folks, the GS53 driver, first of all, looks fantastic. I'm looking forward to getting uh, an opportunity to hit that. But I'm telling you, these fairway woods look absolutely spectacular. I love the low profile that they have. It's a lot of confidence. I feel really good about the opportunity probably to get that ball consistently up in the air so we're not scooping it and hitting it bad and all that sort of stuff. So looking forward to hitting that as well. So check them both out online. Again, BenHoganGolf.com. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Tee. want to send out my sincere thanks to Paul Ramey, Bill Bergen, Tom Patrick, and Scott White for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you're going to be able to keep up with uh, our guest schedule. Plus, we link back over to our page on Podbean, so you can stream any of our archive episodes for free, folks. And uh, also, you can download the uh, Podbean app, so therefore, you can take us with you everywhere you go. We're also available on a number of great apps like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, and Player.fm as well. Please share your thoughts with me. Check out our page on Facebook, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. There you can give me some feedback. Plus, if you've got a question for one of our previous or future guests, you can let me know right there. I'll be glad to get that question on the air and answered for you as well. Again, uh, our website is nextonthetee.net. Folks, again, thank you for choosing to listen to the show tonight. We know you got a lot of golfing content out there to listen to. We really appreciate the fact that you are making Next on the Tee part of it. Until next week. Hit him straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the G with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great game of golf.